Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Hello, everyone. What is up? Welcome back to another episode of Killer Instinct, you guys. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you are new here, hi, my name is Savannah, and I'm your host of Killer Instinct. Before we get started, make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post every single Wednesday on the podcast, and then again every Thursday on YouTube as well, and you're not going to want to miss that. Now, as you guys can tell by the title of today's episode, today we are discussing the tragic and brutal murder of Taylor Wright. Taylor was 33 years old when she was murdered in Pensacola, Florida in 2017. So let's jump right on into it today. So Taylor Wright was born on April 23rd, 1984, and she's described by her loved ones as someone who was full of life and energy. She was motivated. She would give the shirt off of her back to anyone who needed it. Now, Taylor had spent a lot of her life in North Carolina, and that is kind of where she built her life, so to speak, or the traditional version of her life. That is where she married her now ex-husband, Jeff Wright. They had a son together. She worked as a police officer there. And for all things considered, her life looked seemingly perfect on the outside. However, Taylor definitely did have some demons that she was dealing with as well. She dabbled in drugs here and there. She was known to lie about the drugs that she did when she did them. So she definitely had a darker side as well. However, again, from the outside, you would never know. She had the husband, she had the baby, she had the job. She really was, for all things considered, living a quote-unquote perfect traditional life. Now, regardless of how traditional and perfect their life looked, Taylor and Jeff decided that they were going to get a divorce. And And once they did this, Taylor decided that she wanted to get out of North Carolina. She wanted to start somewhere fresh. So she ended up going to Pensacola, Florida. Now, like I said, when moving to Pensacola, Taylor wanted a fresh start. She at the time was working as a private investigator, so she retired from her job as a police officer to move over to a PI, and she was dealing with her divorce with Jeff, and like most divorces, it wasn't necessarily the cleanest or the easiest. Her and Jeff would fight a lot about finances as well as the custody of their son. That was also a big source of their arguments as well. So they were going through, you know, the court system and legal system to try and settle this divorce amicably. Now, if you've never heard of Pensacola, Florida before, which is where Taylor ended up moving to, Pensacola is a city in the western part of Florida. And in 2017, when this all took place, Pensacola had a population of about 52,000 people. It very much is a beach town. It has a very fun vibe. A lot of people go there all the time to, you know, spring break and summer and things like 
like that. So it was definitely a fun place to live. And when she got there, she was really able to kind of start fresh, which is exactly what she wanted. She ended up meeting her girlfriend there. Her girlfriend at the time was named Cassandra Waller and the two of them met on a dating app and the two of them even began living together. So their relationship, while they hadn't been together that long, was seemingly pretty serious. Now, even though Taylor moved to Pensacola, it does not mean that her issues with her divorce stayed in North Carolina when she left. She definitely was still dealing with them when she moved to Pensacola and shortly before she went missing, which was in September of 2017, Taylor ended up taking out a hundred thousand dollars from her and her ex-husband's joint bank account. So she was not supposed to do this at all. This was not something that her and Jeff had agreed upon. This is something that she did without telling him. And the reason that she did that was because the two of them had argued over finances for so long. And she essentially was just trying to keep that money away from him. And that was the easiest way to do it was to just cash all of it out. Now, when she got the $100,000, she ended up giving it to multiple of her friends. And the reason that she did this was because she didn't want to have the entire $100,000. She thought it would be easier and safer if she dispersed the $100,000 off to multiple of her friends. That way she would know where it was and she wouldn't have all of this money on her at once. And it also made her look less guilty if she was to get caught because she wouldn't be caught with the 100,000 because she didn't have all of the 100,000. So she dispersed it amongst her friends. And one of these friends was a woman named Ashley Britt MacArthur. And Ashley and Taylor had known each other for a little over a year at that point. And Ashley was definitely one of Taylor's closer friends in Pensacola. Taylor hadn't lived in Pensacola for too long at the time that she met Ashley. So Taylor and her got along pretty well. And she definitely was one of Taylor's closer friends, clearly, because she gave Ashley about $34,000 out of the $100,000 that she took out. And the deal was, was that Ashley was going to take that money and put it in a safety deposit box in the Wells Fargo bank that she had an account in. So once she put it in the safety deposit box, the plan was is that it would stay there until Taylor needed it again. Now, if you don't know what a safety deposit box is, safety deposit boxes are inside of a bank and they are basically there to store your valuables. And it could be either at a bank or a credit union. In this case, it was at a Wells Fargo bank. So that is what a safety deposit box is. And that was where the money was going to be kept. And the plan was, is that it would be kept in there until Taylor needed to get it out again. However, this didn't necessarily go according to plan because it got to the point where Taylor would ask Ashley for the money, say that they should go get it together. And every time they made plans to get the money, Ashley would either bail or make an excuse as to why she couldn't go and really kept trying to push off getting Taylor her money. And this in turn caused Taylor a lot of stress as it would most people. We're talking about $34,000. That is a lot of money. And it was frustrating to Taylor because she 
she didn't understand why Ashley was keeping her money hostage. And the day before Taylor went missing was September 7th of 2017. And that night, Taylor and her girlfriend, Cassandra, had gone out to dinner together. And Cassandra said that she remembered at that dinner, Taylor expressed her frustration and her stress because Ashley was withholding this money from her. Taylor felt like something really wasn't right, that something had gone wrong. And Taylor also said that she felt like she was in a really awkward and uncomfortable position with someone that she thought was her friend. Now, Cassandra said that she reassured Taylor that everything would be fine and everything would be worked out. Even though it was a stressful situation, it would be resolved because the next day on September 8th, Taylor and Ashley had plans to go to the safety deposit box at Wells Fargo together so they could retrieve the money. Because remember, Ashley was the only one who could get into the safety deposit box. So that's why Ashley had to go with Taylor. The afternoon before the 8th, so on September 7th, Taylor was texting Ashley, basically confirming their plans and saying that they had to go at a specific time because the bank was going to close. And so basically, Taylor was just confirming her plans with Ashley and Ashley confirmed them back. Now, the next day, which was September 8th, 2017, Cassandra said that her and Taylor woke up like any other day. Cassandra got ready for work. She worked at a school as a teacher and she said that she gave Taylor a hug and a kiss goodbye and she walked out her front door. When she walked out her front door, she said that Ashley was sitting in her car in the driveway waiting to pick Taylor up so they could go to the bank together. Cassandra said that she greeted Ashley, said that she hoped that the two of them had a good day. She got in her car and she drove away. But little did Cassandra know that that would be the last time that she would ever see Taylor again. Now, later that day on the 8th, Cassandra got a phone call and the phone call was actually from Ashley. And when Cassandra got on the phone, Ashley had told her that her and Taylor, instead of going to the Wells Fargo bank, decided to go to Ashley's family's farm that was located in East Milton, which was about 25 minutes away from Pensacola. Now, when Cassandra heard this, she was very confused because she knew how important it was to Taylor that Taylor got that money back. And now Ashley is sitting here saying that they they aren't going to go to the bank at all, and instead they're going to go ride horses in East Milton. Ashley told Cassandra that Taylor was very emotional that day. She was dealing with a lot of stress from the divorce, and she really just needed to blow off some steam. And again, Cassandra just really had a bad feeling about all of this because it didn't make any sense. The core of Taylor's stress came from the fact that she didn't have this money. And so instead of going and getting the money, but the only person she could get the money from, she was going to go ride horses. It just didn't make sense. However, Ashley insisted that in being one of Taylor's best friends, she knew what was best for her and that this was going to be really good for her just to, you know, get out in nature and blow off some steam. However, once they got off the phone, Cassandra began to text Taylor. The last time that Cassandra had actually heard from Taylor was at about 11.45 p.m. And after she got off the phone with Ashley, she 
started texting her and calling her. However, she wasn't receiving any response and she didn't receive a response until about 7 p.m. that night when she got a text from Taylor that said, quote, I'll call you later. I'm not angry with you and I should have called, but I just need to think I am trying to get my life organized and on track. End quote. Now, Cassandra said that when she got this text, she was pretty upset and rightfully angry. She said that Taylor did have a lying problem in the past when it came to her drug use. And not only that, Cassandra had walked in one time on Taylor with another woman previously in their relationship. So Cassandra already had some trust issues with Taylor, rightfully so. So when Taylor's behavior all of a sudden changes in the blink of an eye, Cassandra got very upset. Once she got that text, Cassandra began texting Taylor back, telling her not to come home and that she could never stop lying and she was doing drugs again and that she doesn't know how to stop herself. And the texts kept going. However, Taylor never responded to them. And a couple days went by and those texts of anger and frustration really turned over into texts of concern. Cassandra began texting Taylor, telling her to come back home and that they could work it out and just to please respond to her so she knew she was okay and to let Taylor Taylor know that she was loved. However, again, there was nothing in return. Now, after about a week of not hearing from Taylor, a missing persons report was filed and detectives said that very early on, based on the just bizarre nature of this entire case, they really treated it as a homicide, which I think is very telling because I think a lot of cases begin with, you know, everyone's missing until proven otherwise. However, detectives said in this case in particular, they knew that more than likely Taylor was dead. And not only that, police pretty much right away knew who their two potential prime suspects were, and that was Cassandra and Ashley. Now, the reason that Cassandra was brought up, again, we've seen this in so many cases in the past, Cassandra was in Taylor's inner circle. She was the person that Taylor saw the most. She was the one that was dating Taylor, and so authorities had to bring her in for interrogations and questioning. They searched all through Cassandra's house that she shared with Taylor, and in her interrogations, Cassandra is visible upset and she's saying that she didn't do anything wrong but police kept questioning saying do you know where she is do you know who did this to her if you knew would you tell us so they weren't holding back they were trying to get to the bottom of it for sure and in each interrogation that cassandra did she was visibly upset i can't stress that enough however regardless of that she was still answering all of the police's questions in a very serious manner she was trying to really help them get to the bottom of this even though she was a little insulted that they ever questioned her to begin with so that was was Cassandra's demeanor and approach. However, when it came to Ashley's interrogations, Ashley had a very different approach. Before we move on any further, we're going to take a moment and thank our sponsors for the day. Imagine an app designed to make you use it less. Seems a little counterproductive, right? 
Well, Apartments.com's Instant Alert feature works exactly that way. Instead of scanning rental listings a million times a day, simply set and forget your search to whatever you're looking for in a place and let Apartments.com do the rest. From pet-friendly apartments to balconies to in-unit ACs, Apartments.com's powerful search tools let you know when the perfect combination of features you're seeking is listed. So you don't have to power through rental descriptions one by one. With more rental listings than anywhere else, Apartments Apartments.com's instant alerts mean that you can spend less time looking for the perfect place and more time on just doing you. Apartments.com, the place to find a place. This episode is made possible by PwC. It's getting hot out here. Moving the mercury can help move your business. PwC helps turn sustainability theory into real-world action. Reduce your carbon footprint while increasing transparency in net zero commitments. Start with reporting to identify your climate risks and reinvent your business. Create a more sustainable business and a stronger planet. It's all part of The New Equation. Learn more at thenewequation.com. Welcome to the Magical Overthinkers podcast, a show for thought spiralers, exploring the subjects we can't stop overthinking about. From celebrity worship to social media comparison. I'm your host, Amanda Montel. I am a textbook overthinker. I'm also an author and the host of the podcast, Sounds Like a Cult. Every other Wednesday on the Magical Overthinkers podcast, I'll interview a charismatic expert guest about some confounding subject from the zeitgeist. Think narcissism, imposter syndrome, girl math. If you're like me and feel like the volume in your brain is just way too high sometimes, my hope is for this show to make some sense of the senseless. Listen to Magical Overthinkers now, wherever you get your podcasts. Now, when it came to Ashley's interrogation, especially her first interrogation, it was a lot more lighthearted. Her behavior was very playful. The prosecution even called it flirty at one point. She ended up telling police that she was not worried about Taylor at all. She didn't think that Taylor was in any harm or in any danger. She said that the only thing she could possibly think of when it came to if anyone should be worried about Taylor was her drug use. She really tried to paint Taylor in this picture of being a drug addict and having a serious serious drug problem. She said that the drug situation was a really big deal when it came to Taylor, that she lied a lot about it and really focused on that. However, she said if she didn't know about Taylor's drug situation, she said that she would be thinking that quote unquote, Taylor's doing what Taylor does, whatever that means. Now, detectives asked Ashley about the money in the safety deposit box, and they asked why it had taken so long for Ashley to give Taylor the money. However, Ashley told detectives that there was never a safety deposit box to begin with. She said she had absolutely no money there at all, so she really didn't know what this whole questioning about the safety deposit box was. However, when going back and looking at the texts between Taylor and Ashley, it was clear that Taylor was under the assumption that they were going to get the money from the safety deposit box. Now, detectives found surveillance footage of Ashley at a gas station that was actually nowhere near the Wells Fargo bank at around 11.52 a.m., where Ashley was seen by 
by herself purchasing herself a soda and a beer that she said was for Taylor. She said instead of going to the bank, the two of them ended up going to East Milton Farm, which is exactly what she told Cassandra. And she said that the reason that the two of them went there was for Taylor to again, blow off some steam and ride horses. Ashley said that the two of them spent a couple hours there. They were just hanging out and talking. And after that, Ashley then drove the two of them back to Ashley's house where Taylor then ordered herself an Uber and left saying that she was going to go to a bar to just grab a beer. So detectives then took that statement that Ashley made and did some digging with it. They decided to look into Taylor's Uber ride history and that is where they discovered that Taylor actually hadn't used Uber in months and that was the only rideshare app that she used so it's not like she was using you know Lyft or anything like that. She hadn't used Uber in months so this whole story that she ordered an Uber and left now went out the window. Now something else that stood out to police in this case was how obsessed Ashley was with it for someone who seemingly was not worried about Taylor and her whereabouts. Ashley would continuously try and keep up with this case. She was calling detectives daily, asking if there were any updates, any new leads, asking if police had lurked in certain areas. At one time, she even suggested that police look in alleyways because that is where the drug addicts hang out. It was around this time that police also looked into the cell phone records and the cell phone pings from both Ashley and Taylor's cell phones. And when they did that, they saw that Ashley and Taylor's phones showed them not going to East Milton Farm, like Ashley said that they did. However, instead, they showed both of the phones going to Brit Road, which I will post a picture on the YouTube version for you to understand where these places are in reference to where Pensacola is. However, if you're listening to me on the podcast, basically East Milton was 25 minutes northeast and Britt Road, which was also another farm, was 25 minutes northwest. So they were basically in two totally opposite directions. Now, along with all of that, police also found surveillance footage of Ashley going to the bank on multiple different occasions to cash checks that were supposedly from Taylor. These checks were signed by Taylor. However, when police looked into them more, they were really able to figure out fairly quickly that these signatures from Taylor were forged. So not only did they now have the fact that Ashley never went to East Mills like she said she did, they also know that Ashley was the last one with Taylor and they also have a motive here, which is money. It was a $34,000 that Ashley had that she was refusing to give back to Taylor. And it was also accommodated by the fact that Ashley was cashing checks that were forged with Taylor's signature. And it didn't take long for police to figure out that Ashley was obviously the one forging the signatures on the checks. Now, I do want to say, I want to point out right now that Ashley was actually married. She was married to a former sheriff's deputy for Pensacola. So it really kind of made police on edge. They didn't really know who they could trust in this case, and they didn't want anything to get out about it. So they really kept it under wraps because they didn't know who Ashley had connections to in the department. Now, in early October, Ashley was brought in for another interrogation. However, what police knew that she didn't was that this would be their last interview with Ashley. 
And in comparison to the first interview that they did, like I said, Ashley was very playful, almost flirty. This time, with this second interrogation, her demeanor completely changed. She was a lot more serious. Her body language showed her a lot more closed off. And police said that it was almost as if she knew that her gig was up. Now, detectives first started with the fact that Ashley and Taylor did not go to East Milton when they said they did. That was basically the first thing that they confronted Ashley about. And that is when Ashley told them that they did go to East Milton. However, it was in the evening and not during the day like she initially said it was. When police then confronted her about the forged checks, Ashley really didn't have too much to say about that. In fact, her response when asked if she had forged those checks or if she remembered forging those checks, she said, probably not. So then detectives asked what she was doing at Brit Road. They said that they had both of their phones pinging at Brit Road. What was at Brit Road? And like I said, Brit Road was a farm and this farm was actually owned by Ashley's aunt. So it was Ashley's family's farm and Ashley told authorities that the reason that the two of them went out there was because Ashley needed to pick up some of her stuff. Now it is assumed that Ashley was referring to drugs that Taylor needed to pick up and when detectives asked why Ashley didn't tell them this beforehand, Ashley said that it was because Taylor told me to never tell anyone ever. However, you would think if your friend, if your really good friend goes missing, even if they told you, you know, don't tell anyone about this, if they go missing that same night, you probably would put that to the side and maybe decide to tell someone. Now, at this point, Ashley knew that there wasn't much more that she could do to save herself in this situation. So this is when she decided to ask for an attorney and the interview was over. Now, that was on the morning of October 19th of 2017. And police that same day had actually gotten a warrant to search through Brit Farm. And within two hours of that search, one of the lead detectives on this case was on the phone with the supervisor of the search and overheard in the background someone say that they had located a skull. The entire skeletal remains were found covered in concrete and potting soil. They were found wrapped in a hammock and dug into a shallow grave with a bullet hole found in the skull, showing that the cause of death was a gunshot wound to the head. The remains were then identified as that of Taylor Wright, and then that same night on October 19th, 2017, Ashley MacArthur was arrested for first-degree premeditated murder. Now, when it came to the trial, Ashley MacArthur pled not guilty, and the prosecutor on the trial was a woman named Bridget Jensen, and Bridget said that the hardest part in trying to convince the jury that Ashley was the murderer was not, you know, trying to find a motive or anything like that. It was basically trying to convince them that someone that looked like Ashley could commit this gruesome of a crime on someone who she claimed to be such good friends with. Ashley was small in stature. She was very pretty. She was soft-spoken to the people that knew her. So it was hard to convince the jury that someone like that was capable of something like this. Now, the defense argued that there was no physical evidence that connected Ashley to Taylor's death. So that was their argument. They said that even though there's weird inconsistencies, there's 
nothing that physically shows that Ashley is connected to this. It's all kind of circumstantial. Now, the prosecution on the first day of the trial brought in Taylor's ex-husband, Jeff Wright, to testify. Now, he said that after Taylor went missing, Jeff had actually reached out to Ashley directly on Facebook asking if she knew where Taylor was. Ashley responded to Jeff on Facebook and said that the last time she saw Taylor, Taylor was carrying two backpacks, a large amount of money, and that Taylor was nervous about the upcoming custody trial between her and Jeff. Now, police were able to confirm that Jeff Wright was in North Carolina at the time Taylor went missing, so he was ruled out pretty early on in this, even though the defense did try and say that he had a motive and he could have done this he was ruled out fairly early in this. Now, it was also during the trial that multiple of Ashley's friends came forward to basically testify against her. These friends were basically people that Ashley knew through the bars that she would regular at. There was a bar in particular at Pensacola. It's called Babes, and I guess it's actually a strip club. It's not really even a bar, but Ashley would frequent there quite a lot, and she became friends with the bartenders there. And the bar bartenders and her other friends there basically said that on the night before Taylor went missing, Ashley was openly talking about the fact that Taylor was a terrible person and that the world would be better without her in it. And she also said that she was planning on spiking Taylor's beer with cocaine to get her to overdose. And along with that, she also said that she herself was too small to physically hurt hurt someone. So if she ever wanted to do harm to someone, she would shoot them, which coincidentally was the same way that Taylor died. You've got to be some kind of messed up to go out and openly talk about someone like this. Telling people openly that you're going to drug someone and try and get them to OD, it's, it's mind-boggling. And not only that, that same night that Taylor went missing on September 8th, Ashley went back to Babes late, late, late that night. And she was asked by the bartenders if she spiked Taylor's beer with the cocaine. And first of all, why the bartenders didn't say like red flag, red flag, red flag, like right then and there is kind of baffling because if someone's telling you that they're planning on killing someone, you might want to do something about that. However, you know, I guess technically it's not their responsibility. It's not their job. It's not their fault, but it still is very bizarre. And so that night when she got there, they were asking her, you know, did you do it? Like, how did it go? Almost gossiping about it, which is so weird. And Ashley admitted that she did put cocaine in Taylor's beer. However, when Taylor tasted it, she said it tasted sour and she spit the beer out. So it didn't work. Now, along with all of that, the prosecution had another point in all of this that really proved Ashley's motive. Now, they said that the reason that Ashley couldn't give Taylor her money back was because Ashley had already spent it. So the $34,000 that Taylor gave Ashley to keep safe for her, Ashley had gone behind her back 
and spent it. It came out during the trial that Ashley was having an affair with a man named Brandon Beatty, who was a bar owner. The two of them started out as friends, and then they began a sexual relationship outside of Ashley's marriage. And Ashley actually took the $34,000 and spent it on the man that she was having an affair with. Ashley bought Brandon a boat with the $34,000. And not only that, she bought him a bunch of other things. She bought him a motorcycle just a couple weeks before Taylor went missing. And Brandon said that Ashley spent money on him very regularly. And not only that, Brandon said that when Taylor went missing, Ashley told Brandon, they'll never find that bitch she's gone. Now the trial also showed surveillance footage of Ashley going to Home Depot the day that Taylor had gone missing. The store clerk working at Home Depot at the time that was helping Ashley was actually called to testify. And he said that when Ashley was at Home Depot, she asked him for fast setting concrete. So basically concrete that dries really fast. And not only that, she also purchased potting soil. Coincidentally enough, the two things that were found to conceal Taylor's body. Now, the defense argued that Ashley had a back problem and her mom testified to confirm that Ashley would never pour a 50-pound bag of concrete because she never wanted to do anything to injure her back. However, when you look at it in the grand scheme of things, I think Ashley would take the back pain rather than be caught with murder. So I think it kind of is a toss-up right there. Along with that, they argued that the concrete Ashley purchased was not the same kind of concrete that was found covering Taylor's body. However, there was no real way. They couldn't really prove that here or there, so there was no proof on that. Now, after the trial was all said and done, the jury deliberated for four hours before coming back with the verdict, and they found Ashley MacArthur guilty of murder in the first degree. And after the verdict was read, the judge sentenced Ashley to life in prison, serving at least a minimum of 25 years. And the trial was in 2019, and Ashley is currently serving her sentence at the Lowell Correction Institute, located in Ocala, Florida. So that, my friends, is the case of Taylor Wright. And, you know, it's a really, it's one of those cases where you sit there and you think you can't trust anyone because here Taylor was, you know, giving money to a friend, which I think there is a little bit of a, why would Taylor give that much money to Ashley? But regardless of whether or not she did, it doesn't justify Ashley murdering Taylor. So regardless of Taylor giving her the money or not, it doesn't equate to her getting her life so brutally and tragically ended by someone she thought she could trust. Clearly, if Taylor is giving Ashley $34,000, she thought that she could trust her with it. And clearly she was wrong. I'm really interested to see what you guys have to say about this one. And with that being said, you guys, that is all for me today. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Killer Instinct. Again, if you're new here, hi, my name is Savannah and I am your host of Killer Instinct. Make sure you go ahead and hit that subscribe button. That way you never miss an episode. We post weekly here every Wednesday on the podcast and every Thursday on YouTube. I will be back in a couple days with a brand new one for you guys. And until then, stay safe. Bye guys.
Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of the values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See why CNBC ranks Minnesota number four best state to live and work. A great place to work, an even better place to live. ExploreMinnesota.com slash live.